So I'm a professional. And we're getting... I'm actually not. That's the, that's the irony of the thing. I am not a professional. We don't get paid for this. No, I, uh, uh, thanks. This morning I'm a little special because I left my iPad and my real Bi- and my Bible that I usually preach out of at home. So, thank goodness for Dropbox, but I might need reading glasses. So, I might be hitting somebody up for some of those. You can go ahead and start turning to Hosea. There are some people here that I don't know, and that's awesome. That makes me happy. Was it you, you said right before, who's been praying that somebody would show up? And you have, so we're happy. But we also noted that it's when we get to things like Hosea that people show up. So, so if you haven't been here before, this is going to be fun for all of us. This is going to be an interesting journey, I think, that we're going to take. But uh, I'll, start us, I'll start us with something a little bit lighter than Hosea. Um, so... So guys, we're having this guys group, this, we have guys group that meets every other week, and we're having this guys night where we're going to, I think, go jump on trampolines for an hour. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I mean, we were trying to come up with ideas for what we as the guys wanted to go do. I was trying to think of like ridiculous, foolish, like teenage boy things where we end up getting ourselves in. Like, like no, well, see... I was thinking, like, go find a really steep hill and roll down it. You know, I was thinking very simple. Just like, just like rolling down hills and trying to dodge rocks. You know, you know irresponsible things that, that, that boys tend to think about. And I was, okay, so I was, I've, I've, I've come up with a fun challenge for us. Girls, you're more than welcome to join us in this, but I don't think you're going to want to. Uh, because I was listening to ESPN Radio this week. ESPN Radio listeners in the room? Not many of us? No, no. So like, so like, it's because I drive to work and I have Mike and Mike on in the morning. So this week on Mike and Mike, Mike Golick, who you probably don't know, but he's, uh, he's the bigger of the two Mikes. He was the defensive lineman of the two Mikes. And he had accepted this challenge from another radio show host on ESPN, uh, the powdered donut challenge. He had one hour to eat 36 powdered donuts. That's awesome, right? Like, we should try this, absolutely. And he did it in 10 minutes, which is pretty impressive. Like, he was, like, doubling up on them, apparently, by the end. It was on the radio, so it was thrilling radio to listen to this guy eat donuts for 10 minutes. But, but the more he got into it, the more uncomfortable he obviously seemed to feel. Uh, he said the next day, on, the next morning on the radio, he said, that was not a good plan. It was an even worse plan to go work out after having eaten all these donuts. He's like, but, but I had this challenge set before me, and it got harder, and it got harder, and it got harder, and I was faced with more difficulty and pain and discomfort, but I just knew that I had to power through, right? I had to overcome. I had to, to fight past the difficult things that I was facing because he was so committed to winning this challenge a completely ridiculous and irresponsible sort of thing to do but I think that that mentality and and he and they they were bantering back and forth about how he was never going to be defeated by this sort of thing because he's the type of guy that when he gets committed to something when he commits to a task or a challenge or faces something he's not going to give up when it starts getting difficult he's not going to run away from a challenge when things get painful or he starts feeling uncomfortable or 
or, or he's facing some sort of pushback. And I want us to get that idea by the time we get done today, that this idea of being so committed to something that you're not going to give up on it. Because, because we've been trying for this last through this series, through the Old Testament, to really understand the mind of God, the heart of God, how he thinks, what he feels, who he is, how he reveals himself to us. And we've seen a lot about his nature, and we've seen a lot about the way he does things, and the way he works, and the way he, he, he organizes and orchestrates and plans out all these events. And we've gotten big pictures of his sovereignty and, and the things that he's in control of. But in Hosea, I think we get one of the more clear pictures of God's emotion, God's heart, how God is affected by his relationship with his people. And I say with his people because we're going to be looking at Israel specifically because we're in the Old Testament, but I, I don't want us to forget that, that Israel, and I'm probably spoiling the end of this whole series, but Israel is just a, a picture of us, the church, of who we are and, and how God is going to interact with us and how God feels as he deals with us as broken, as sinful as we all are. Because we've seen, obviously, over the last couple of weeks that God has been kind of working through, warning his people that he is disgusted by their sin. He does not like the sin that's in their lives. He doesn't like that they've been chasing after all of these false gods. He doesn't like that they've been seeking the kings of other nations to protect them instead of relying on God for their protection. They've been, they've been essentially running away from God and saying, we can survive as a nation without you. We don't need you, God. We're going to move on. And we've seen that God said he's going to move against their sin and punish it decisively. But this week, I think we're going to get to see a bit of how God feels as he's having to do that. You know, I've related it a lot to parenting the last couple of weeks. We're going to get a different metaphor this week. So if you go ahead and go to Hosea chapter 1, we're going to get a really, I think, honest, kind of raw look into how God feels as he deals with broken, sinful people. Uh, so Hosea chapter 1, I'm going to start at the very beginning. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, Take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. We'll stop right there. I'm going to let that sink in. Got real, real fast, right? So God said, okay, so, so God has often used very tangible, very physical examples, metaphors. Uh, if you read Ezekiel, he has Ezekiel does, do some pretty crazy things to kind of represent how God is treating the people, how he feels the people are treating him. And I think this is one of the easiest for us to connect to. He's saying, I want you, and, and when it says whoredom, it's easy to say he's telling him to go marry a prostitute. And I don't think that's necessarily what he's saying. The word there seems to more be pointing to, I want you to go marry somebody who is not going to be fully committed to you and who I'm going to go ahead and tell you now is going to cheat on you. She's going to commit adultery against you. She's going to leave you. She is not going to remain true to you through your relationship. I want you to go, I want you to go get married to this person knowing that that's going to happen. And I want you to have kids. I want you to have a family. And he 
this because, because your family running away from you, your wife running away and, and leaving you for something else, even though she has all that she needs in you, I want you to realize and I want you to be able to communicate to, to Israel that that is how I feel when they run off and chase all these other gods and when they go chasing after the affections and the, uh, you know, the renown of the other kings of the nations that are around them. That's how I feel. So God directly compares our sin, our, our walking away from him, our chasing after things that matter way less than he does. Instead of, instead of pursuing him, he, he attributes that to a spouse committing adultery against their husband or their wife. And it's not that he says, I want you to go get married, and then he surprises Hosea with this. He, 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 he warns him up front. He tells him, I need you to do this so that I can have this example. I need my people to understand how it is that I feel about their sin. And this is some of the strongest language that I think we get to really describe how God views our sin, how he's going to feel when we sin against him, when we chase after things that, matter, that do not matter, things that are not important. And I think it's interesting to say, I think it's interesting that God says, go marry this because, because my people have committed this against me. He says, his people. He says, my people have chased after. It's not like these are people that don't know God. It's not that these are people that haven't already had full understanding of who God is. These are his people. He feels this way when his people sin. His people. We are his people, the church, his people. So when he says, I feel this way when they go sin, he's not talking about people that he is not already connected to. He's not talking about people that maybe have not yet been saved to use more of a New Testament phrasing of that. He's saying when we sin, when we chase after other things that are unimportant, when we prioritize our lives incorrectly, God feels like we are committing adultery against him. That is what it feels like to him because he is in this relationship with us and we are going after all sorts of other things other than him. And I think we kind of get this sense that it hurts him. It's not just that it makes him mad. We don't just associate anger, but this is like, this is like sadness on God's part. Let's go and keep reading. We'll read verses three and four. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So God has often used names of children and all these... To, to make points about what it is that I'm doing. Like, we've seen him already changing Abram's name to Abraham because he's going to make him the father of a nation. We've seen him, if you think of the New Testament, he changes Saul's name to Paul because he's made him this new creation, this, this humbler person who's, who's ready to kind of step back and just let God be in control of his life. So, so God takes names very seriously. And, and God says, I want you to name your child Jezreel because I am going to do something about the sin of my people. Now, there's a whole lot of his, history of Israel that we could really focus on in here, 
and there's a lot of time for us to do that. You could do that maybe if you want, if, you're, if your CG leader wants to take the time to read up a little bit on that, because I'm not going to really focus on that today, not because it's not important, but because I kind of want to get to a couple of other big pictures. But just know that as God is making all of these statements, as he's telling um, Hosea to name his children different things, it's because he's about to take a very short-term action against the sin of the people. But he wants us, I think, for us, the church, to get kind of the longer term, big picture idea of how God is working among his people. So we'll go ahead and keep reading in verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name no mercy, for I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. And I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. I think it's interesting to note, knowing who it is that Hosea was told to marry. The first son, Jezreel, it says very specifically, she conceived and bore him a son. It doesn't say that about the other two children. It just says she conceived and bore a son. I don't know that that necessarily means that these were kids from other men that she ran off to, but I think the absence of confirming that at least reminds you how serious the, the situation was that God had put Hosea in. Not only was he necessarily having to deal with a wife who would leave him for other men for periods of time, but he was going to be faced with seeing the constant reminder of her sin because she had these children that God had had him name certain things to represent how God felt about the nation of Israel, about the sin of the nation of Israel. And how he was gonna he was gonna send them away, he was gonna have no mercy on their sin, and how and how he was gonna treat them as though they were no longer his people. He was gonna he was gonna completely cut himself off from them. And Hosea has this constant reminder right in front of his face. He sees the result of the sin that was committed against him every day. And I think it's this this clear reminder that that God doesn't lose sight of what we do when we wander away from Him. He still sees the results of our sin, even if we think we're hiding it, or even if we think we've gotten past it, we've stopped doing that thing, but we haven't put that sin to death in our life. It's not, it's not something that we've completely eradicated from who we are. God still sees not only that sin taking place, but He still continues to see the ripple effects, the results of those sins that we commit, those things that we do that have a lasting effect, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our families, the lives of our friends, the lives of our church. There's not a small, there's not this, there's not an isolated sin incident. Every single thing that we do has an effect, leaves some sort of residue behind. And if that's some sort of sin, some sort of, you know, atrocity that we commit against God, He's going to continue to see that. He's going to continue to see the effects of that and continue to feel the pain that's that we're seeing that is associated with his being sinned against, with, with our 
treating him as though he matters less than all of these other things that we're chasing after. It's no small thing. It's no, it's no short-term thing when we chase after something else, when we go after another God. And when I say another God, that could be anything. That could be anything that we go after more aggressively than God. So God's used this metaphor. It's a metaphor that he hasn't really used yet to this point. We've seen, we've seen him use names, we've seen him use children, we've seen, but, but for the first time in the Old Testament, at least the first time that we've really focused heavily on, we see God using marriage as a metaphor for how he relates to his people, for how he relates to Israel, and, and now what we're about to read about, how we relate to Christ as the church. And so instead of spending the rest of our time really trying to dissect all the specifics of the history of what, what Hosea is going to try to warn the people about and what's going to happen and how God's going to deal with their sin, I want us to kind of dive more into this metaphor of how God views marriage and what God's plan is for marriage. Um, and we're going to use the same metaphor that he's been using. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, we'll start there. I'll give you a second to turn there. And I say I'll give you a second to turn there because I have to find it. Galatians, Ephesians. chapter 5. I'm trying to decide where I want to start here. We'll just go ahead and start in 22. We'll just go ahead and read all this because I think it's, it's good and helpful. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. So just as Israel's relationship with God was like a marriage relationship, they were, they were in it together. He was committed to them. He had entered into, and we saw this back when we were studying Abraham, he had entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. That's the same relationship that we have with Christ. Christ has entered into a covenant relationship with us. He says, I am committed to being with you. Let's go through this together. 
So what can we learn about our relationship with God and about our relationships with each other, you know, specifically in a marriage relationship? I know that actually most of us in here are not married. There are some of us who are, but statistically, most of us will be married at some point. So when I say this, go ahead and start writing the notes down because you're going to need it at some point. And I'm not going to give you the secret to having a really awesome marriage because ask my wife, I haven't figured that out yet. I'm sure I'm horribly embarrassing to her all the time. It's absolutely true. But go ahead and be thinking, because all we're going to do is we're going to examine what God intends for our marriages, how he intends for us to, to work through problems. And, and I think, I think that this is going to be helpful because it's going to give us a clearer picture of how Christ loves us and how Christ, we and Christ are committed to one another and all of this. And I think it's very fitting that we sang that song, Your Love Never Fails, right before we got to this, because I think by the end of this, we're going to have a really clear, unified picture about this. So God wanted to show us how his sin was, how, how Israel's sin affected him. I hope you held your spot in Hosea. Go ahead and flip back over there to Hosea chapter 3 real quick. So God had already told Hosea, I want you to marry this person. I, know, I want you to know what type of person you're marrying. And now, I want you, and now he's going to say, and now he's got some new command. I'm not going to spoil it. We'll just read it. Hosea chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also so so will I also be with you for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince without sacrifice or pillar without ephod or household gods afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days so so God had told Hosea this is the type of person, you're, you know, it's funny. We always ask, what kind of person is it that God wants me to marry? You know, like that's, 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 like, the, that's like the youth group question that all the youth groups try to like, like every youth pastor preaches that sermon like once a year. What's the type of person that God wants you to marry? Ask Hosea about that, right? What's the type of person that you want me to marry, God? I want you to marry an adulteress. Okay, and what happened when he married an adulteress? She committed adultery. And, and it even says here that she was so far gone, she was off living with somebody else to the point that Hosea had to basically buy time with his wife. So at great cost to him, he sacrificed some of what he had to save her from her sin and bring her back to himself. And he said, you're going to be away from your sin. I'm going to separate you from your sin so that you are going to be 
with me. And he said, that's exactly what it's going to be like with Israel. I'm going to send them away. I'm going to let them be in their sin and be in the results of their sin. They're not going to have their temple. They're not going to have their king. They're not going to have their land that I gave them. They're not going to have me, right? Because he had said, they will not be my people. I'm going to send them away. I'm going to let them fully invest themselves in their sin. But he doesn't stop at that. He doesn't say, they're going to go commit all of these great atrocities and I'm just going to be done with them. He says, I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to bring them back here and then they're going to know my love. They're going to know me for who I am. They're going to desire to be with me. And so that's the example that he's saying, Hosea, you need to go through this. She's going she's gonna to leave you. She's going to go off, but you're going to bring her back. And then she's going to love you. And she'll understand that she doesn't need all of these other things around her anymore. And we may be thinking, okay, so that's the example that God has them going through. And we've said that God sees our sin as a spouse committing adultery. But, but you can't be saying, right, you're not saying that in an actual marriage relationship where there is adultery present and all of this, you're not saying that, that we have to stay together. Well, we're going to look at that. Because, because if you go back to Hosea chapter 1, we see what God's long-term plan was. Because if you read the end of Hosea chapter 1, it's in verses 10 and 11. He says, Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. It shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. So what, they're, what he's saying is, just because I sent them away, they're still going to be my people. I'm still going to keep them. I'm still going to bring them back to me. So what does that say about marriage? That's got to put a bunch of questions into our minds. What are you saying? If somebody sins against me, you're saying I'm stuck? I'm, are you saying I'm trapped? Because I don't think God feels that way. Here's how God feels. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 19. And here's the thing. So this is going to be Jesus teaching about the idea of divorce. And I would venture to guess that every single one of us, even if your parents are together. Even if, even if it's not like really close to you, all of us either have been affected by or are very close to somebody who has been affected by, uh, been affected by divorce. And with the way that, especially in our society now and becoming more and more prevalent around the world, with the diminishing importance of the idea of marriage, divorce is just a thing. You get married, you get divorced. Like, okay, so I watch Big Bang Theory, right? And you watch the opening credits of Big Bang Theory, and you can go do this with, you could do it back when Friends was on. You could do it with a lot of shows. It'll put, you know, the, the actors' names up, and then the female character's like, oh, on seasons two and three, it has their last name hyphen, then the guy that they were married to. But when you get to season four, that name's gone because they got divorced. Oh, and then when you get to season seven, Oh, look, they're married to this guy now, and they have this last name tagged on. You know, it's like, it's just a thing. People get married. They stay married for, you know, 
eight months, a year, five years, 10 years, whatever. Then they get divorced and we're like, oh, that's sad. Hope they end up with somebody else. You know, that's kind of the way our society, ha- that's the, the mindset that our society has developed about the idea of marriage. Marriage is so unimportant, so unnecessary that we just flippantly treat it as it's a thing. People get married, it's great. But if they get divorced, it's something else too. And so you may be saying, so, so is there a biblical precedent for divorce? And that's kind of what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 19. Because Jesus is going to be approached by the Pharisees who honestly are just trying to trap him. They're trying to ask him some sort of difficult question that he's not going to be able to answer to their liking. So they have a reason to discredit him. And they're going to ask him these questions about divorce. They're not asking because they're genuinely wanting to be taught by him and understand what is it that God would have us do. They're actually just trying to corner Jesus. But here's how this conversation goes. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them fail made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore God has joined together let not man separate so that's Jesus initial answer you get married to somebody and God no longer sees you as two individuals he sees you as one You are connected, you are united, you are together. That is how God views you. But they follow up in verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So he says, they said, but didn't Moses say it was okay? And Jesus says, God knew that y'all are really wicked and really foolish and really not committed to the same heart that God is committed to. So he gave you what you wanted, but that was never what God would want for you. Like that, that was, God did not intend to say, and here's the out for marriage. Here's how you, here's how you escape this. And he said, yeah, you can get divorced if there is sexual immorality involved in your relationship. But that was not God's intent. God's intent was if you are united to another person. If you are married, he says, I don't see you as two people before. So if you if you divide that relationship, it's almost like now you're just two halves. You're no longer two separate wholes anymore. And when we look back at Hosea, so 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 by the logic that, that Jesus is saying here, and by the answer that he's giving to the Pharisees, he's saying. Hosea would have every right to not go buy his wife back and bring her back to him. 
not to go redeem her. He does not have to because she has sinned against him. She has gone off. But what does God say? He says, go bring her back because that's how I would be. Because God, and this is where we bring it to, bring it to us, because God is so committed to his people. God so loves his church that like we said, even if I run away, your love never fails. Like, just because we go off in sin and it breaks God's heart, he is not done with us. He does not let us go. He does not send us away. Instead, at great cost to himself and at great cost to his son, he buys us back from our sin. He allowed his son to be beaten and killed so that he could buy us back and bring us back to himself. Welcome us back in the church as his bride. And even though we have committed all of these great atrocities, we've committed all of these ridiculous sins against him. We've chased after other gods. We've, we've pursued things that we need not pursue because they have absolutely no value to us in the long run. He doesn't send us away forever. He doesn't divorce himself from us. So in a society that's getting more and more flippant, about the idea of marriage and because this person chews loudly I think we'll just get divorced which by the way if that was a biblical reason for divorce I'd have been alone a long time ago because I you should hear me eat popcorn popcorn is a five sensory snack Sorry. I thought about popcorn. <laughs> because you smell it, you taste it, you feel it, you look at it, and you hear it. Sorry. I haven't eaten today, and I just got real hungry. Oh, you chew it as loud, like... Like, it echoes through our house when I eat popcorn. It's amazing. I was talking about the Bible, so I'm going to go back. I think, I think I'm going to go back to the Bible now. We're going to talk. We'll talk about Hosea, and then we'll talk popcorn later. Cool? Okay. Here we go. God does not intend. God has said he's not going to divorce us. So God does not intend for us to ever get divorced, period. going to drop that one out there. He has given us a few outs. And we could read a few more of those. There's some stuff in Corinthians where Paul talks about, you know, if you're married to an unbeliever and they want to leave, let them go. But God's intent is that once he puts two people together and they become one, to him, that's forever. That's a forever thing, and we shouldn't take that idea lightly at all.
no matter what might, what might come between us, no matter what sin one might commit against another, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, doesn't mean it's going to be fun, doesn't mean you're not going to feel pain, but if you are, like we said at the beginning, if you are so committed to a relationship, if you are so committed to another person in the way that Christ is so committed to his church, then no matter what pain, no matter what difficulty, no matter what pushback you may face, you are willing to fight through that discomfort, that pain, that struggle, because you understand that you are in this together. There's a Bible word that we use for that to describe God. It's called long-suffering. And I think that word is perfectly descriptive of what I want us to think about today when we get done. That, that God is long-suffering with us. That doesn't mean that we annoyed him that one time and then he got over it. It means that he has, and, and if you've been reading the Old Testament with us, you understand how difficult Israel made their relationship with God years and years and years like you'd think why is God doing this this can't be fun for him it's not it is probably not a blast for God to have to deal with us as bad and as broken as we are but he does it anyways because he so loves us and is so committed to making us look like his son and is so committed to taking his church and making it into the perfect bride for his son that he can present to him and say, this is the result of that long-suffering. He, he is willing to endure to eternity for us. That should also be our intent in our relationships together. We are, we are tied to Christ. We are tied to our spouse. One day, most of you will be tied to a spouse. And I want you to have that understanding. That, that you are in this and you're going to stick it out. You're going to fight through it no matter what. Because I don't want the statistics, like everybody tries to say, divorce is just as prevalent in the church as it is outside the church. And that's probably true. But that's probably true not because, that's probably true because we got a bunch of people in the church that aren't really bought in to what it is that Christ has for us. And I want us to be a church of people who are bought in to the truth of who Christ is and what it is that Christ desires for us. What it is that He wants us to be committed to and what it is that He wants us to endure through. So I want us to understand how patient God is with us and how God's love endures forever for us. No matter what it is that we do, if we are His, we are His forever. So let's pray. God, I know there's stuff in my life, and there's probably stuff in all of our lives that we would be ashamed to talk about. but we already know that you know what that is. You see it. You see the effects of our sin. You see the effects of the disgusting things that are in our lives because we are so broken and so in need of you. 
But God, I just pray that, that this morning that we would respond with a sense of gratitude, knowing that you're so willing to tough it out with us, as broken as we are. God, thank you for your patience with us. God, thank you for your endurance with us. And God, thank you for your perfect example of how to endure and, and, and to what degree you would be willing to go to bring us back to yourself. So God, I pray that you would give us hearts that would be willing to fight even to death to be with you, willing to fight even to death to keep loving our husbands and wives. And God, I pray that for those of us in here who, who aren't married yet or who aren't even thinking that way yet, that you'd go ahead and start preparing our hearts for the level of commitment that you're calling us to. And open our eyes to the level of commitment that you're calling us to when you call us into a relationship with you. That just because it gets tough, just because we face pushback, just because we face pain, that we still run as hard as we can to get to you. No matter what it is we face. And God, I just pray that, that even this morning, as we're talking about how how powerful your love for us is and how enduring your love for us is that, that if there are people in here who don't know that love, that you would just hit them in the face with who you are and say, look, this is me. I'm here for you. And I pray that you would, you would give new hearts to people right now that, that beat for you. God, I just pray that you would make us a people that know your love, that know your commitment, that know your patience and endurance with dealing with us, and people that, that respond in a way that says, we have a God that loves us more than we can comprehend and is willing to go to any length to be with us. So thank you for your sacrifice to buy us back from our sin. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And so now we're going to respond. Obviously, we're going to sing. I think this is a really good song to sing right now. That's a good one. Some, you picked some good songs this morning. This is a good truth for us to sing. That he loves us so much that he would fight for us, that he would allow himself to be broken for us. So we're going to sing. We're going we're gonna to take some time. If you need to pray, if you need to talk to your spouse or talk to somebody about your willingness to be committed long-term to something, even though it's difficult. If it's your relationship with Christ and you have questions like, I don't know that I really bought in fully to this thing. Come talk to me. Come talk to Dad. Come grab Daniel. Come talk to somebody about that. Come take communion. If you're in Christ, come over here. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you just have to be a member of the body of Christ. 
come and take communion and reflect on the goodness of the sacrifice that Jesus made to buy us back when we were off chasing after other things. So, let's respond.